0: As you're taking your seats, would you grab your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. That's not a mistake. I'm taking you back for a brief moment uh, before jumping forward to Matthew 7, where we left off last time in our study, the Sermon on the Mount. Today, we will consider uh, a summary of what we've read before in what has come uh, to be known as the Golden Rule. The golden rule, which reminds us of two emphases in the Sermon on the Mount. The first being that Jesus is talking about something going on within us, in our hearts. The issue has not been external righteousness insofar as external righteousness is considered. But rather that external righteousness can only truly exist if internally we have been made clean. And secondly, that true righteousness is total. It is complete. It is perfect. It does not lack in any way. So friends, would you hear now the word of God first from Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, and then we'll flip over to chapter 7. Beloved friends, this is the word of God. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. Allow it now to pierce to the division of soul and spirit, of bone and marrow. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verse 17. Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And Matthew, chapter 7, verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Indeed, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Would he nourish us by it now? Let us pray. Great God in heaven, give us this day our daily bread in the form of your word. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, we come now to the golden rule. If you have an ESV, Translation of your Bible, you'll notice right above verse 12, it says in small caps, the golden rule. This uh, phrase has sort of come to dominate the discussion about this rule because it's incredibly well known. Many non-believers, non-Christians can recite this rule to you. Perhaps in the the version uh, they're most familiar with, the King James, uh, do unto others, right? As, they, uh, as you would have them do unto you. Uh, and the reason this is sort of come to be known as the golden rule or the, the golden standard is simple. There's nothing better than this, right? Watch the Olympics. Do you want a silver medal, a bronze medal, or a gold medal? Everybody competes for the gold medal. And so rightly we see that this rule or this standard is the golden standard, It is the highest achievable way of life. But what's so fascinating about this rule is that this isn't the first instance of it in human history. Some of you may know that this golden rule has many variations, many of which predate our Lord. So we might think maybe perhaps this isn't uh, unique to Jesus. Maybe this isn't Jesus' words. It's Jesus quoting someone else. What's going on here? Well, I think we will come to see that Jesus is teaching from something known as common grace, something very specific about his salvific grace. Jesus takes what is generally known to all humanity and he repeats it to us, revealing that this golden rule is the law and the prophets simply because all of us already know that this is how we ought to treat others, don't we? So the ubiquity or the universality of this rule in variety of times and cultures tells us something that we already know, that we all have to be reminded of this rule, don't we? You go and read the other variations of the golden rule and you'll see that... Uh, regardless of how they phrase it, the the problem that they all assume is that we aren't doing this. We aren't treating others as we wish that others would treat us. And this tells us that it's not just isolated to Christians, it's not just isolated to to the uh, old covenant people of God in Israel and in Judah, that sin is a widespread problem. Isn't it? That all of humanity suffers from the same problem. The problem of original sin. And this rule across time and across cultures tells us that all of us needs a savior. All of us needs true and perfect righteousness and obedience. And this is what Jesus teaches us this morning in the golden rule. That true righteousness and obedience requires perfect love of our neighbor. There is no room for failing the golden rule. Uh, That last phrase again, for this is the law and the prophets, on the, the latter half of the verse tells us, that the entirety of the Old Testament testifies that this is the way of life that we should have adopted. And the implication comes across That we have failed it. And so in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has been explaining the true and the full extent of the law as it's always been. As it's always been. The law has always required both external and internal righteousness. And it comes to this, this summary in the Golden Rule. To teach us that God's revealed word has always been expressing this truth. And we ought to love our neighbors as ourselves. And so we ought to consider just briefly this morning three characteristics of the golden rule. That first, love of neighbor is positive, not negative. Secondly, that our our love of neighbor is backwards. That is going to be very interesting to consider. And then finally, that our love of neighbor is indeed a true love of our God. So let's first consider this morning that uh, loving our neighbor is positive. We all know this as the golden rule. I wonder if any of you have ever heard of a silver rule. Have you ever heard uh, that phrase? I I had not, I confess, until I had done the study of this. Uh, The silver rule are sort of uh, variations on the golden rule, but they're framed negatively. Negatively. They're framed more in terms of uh, not doing to others what you don't want them doing to you. Uh, We see Jesus gives the golden rule, which seems to be, again, a bit better. Uh, Some examples of the silver rule, uh, for example, in Hinduism, we're told one should never do something to others that one would regard as an injury to one's own self. Uh, We're told from the ancient Greeks, To avoid doing what you would blame others from doing to you. We're even told in Southeast Asian culture, What you do not wish for yourself, do not do to others. You see, the the silver rule teaches, in some ways, a lot of the same things the golden rule teaches, doesn't it? Don't do the negative things. Don't do the things you don't want other people doing to you to them. But there's one major drawback to the silver rule. I wonder if you know what it is. That when you phrase this rule negatively, uh, Robert Mounts tells us that the silver rule could be satisfied by doing nothing. Think about it this way. If if we take uh, the maxim avoid doing what you would blame others for doing, if I just simply don't interact with you, I'm avoiding it, aren't I? If I... I'm told not to do to others what I don't want them do, to do to me. I can just ignore you and avoid the problem altogether, can't I? Well, of course, here's the problem. Jesus doesn't want us to avoid the problem, does he? He doesn't want us to avoid other people. But rather, he tells us that loving our neighbor through the golden rule is positive, And therefore, he instructs us that we ought to act on behalf of our neighbors. You see, Jesus is forbidding lethargy and apathy in our approach to our neighbors. Doing nothing is not an option for the Christian. Doing nothing is not an option for the Christian. You know this. This is common Christian teaching. You know uh, that famous parable... Uh, The parable of the Good Samaritan. Perhaps you're thinking of it already. You remember that a lawyer comes to Jesus and and asks what he should do, and and Jesus tells him, Follow the law. And he says, Well, I've done all these things. And so, seeking to justify himself, he asks of the second great commandment, Well, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And so Jesus tells them this parable of, of, of good, upstanding Jews passing by someone in need, doing nothing, avoiding the problem, following, we might say, the silver rule. But then comes a Samaritan. Then comes someone who isn't so righteous and clean, who sees the man beaten and near death in the ditch, And decides that the silver rule is not enough. And he acts upon the golden rule. He moves toward the man. He moves toward his neighbor. Friends, we see that the silver rule is not enough. That Jesus bids us to actively seek out and move toward other people. David Platt, a Baptist pastor near D.C., he he puts it this way. What if instead of justifying himself, seeking to justify himself, what if instead the lawyer decided uh, and desired to humble himself? What if instead of asking, who is my neighbor, he said to Jesus, Jesus, I can't do that. I can't love my neighbor as myself perfectly. How do I do this? Where can I find help? What do you think Jesus might have said to the man in that case? Can you imagine the difference in the conversation? Rather than the parable of the Good Samaritan showing the warrior how he can't justify himself, even using the golden rule, Jesus would have gone on to express that there is help and aid. There is an enabling to do the golden rule, to move toward our neighbor in Jesus' example, life, obedience, and perfection. Jesus would have had an opportunity there to share the gospel positively with a lawyer and to tell him that his sins can be forgiven in Christ. And so what the parable of the Good Samaritan tells us is what the golden rule tells us. Friends, we cannot justify ourselves by our actions. In many ways, the golden rule perhaps condemns us, doesn't it? Again, go back to the idea that the the golden rule and its variants are all out there in in human culture. What, What is the issue at play in the other versions of the golden rule? It's motivation, isn't it? Oh, perhaps you just didn't know. You need more discipline. You need more motivation. You need more instruction. You need more education. Jesus comes in and gives us the golden rule, not because we need motivation not because we need simply more education, not simply because we need more energy to do these things and the issue resides within us and we can overcome it. Jesus comes and gives us the golden rule because apart from God, we will not do it. We will not accomplish it. We will not move toward the man in the ditch as the Samaritan did. Friends, the, the golden rule cannot justify us. Only Christ can. And it is only in Christ that we can obey the golden rule. This is why the, this rule is so important from the mouth of Jesus. He gives it to us as, as an act or, or as an as a, a instruction to us that this is how we are to live as forgiven believers. This is how we are to act now in Christ. And so, friends, the next question has to be, how do we do this? If it's not to justify us, and if outside of Christ we won't actually accomplish the golden rule, how do we do this? Well, we do it through, uh, I'm going to give you four ways. Your note taker, uh, they all start with we. Okay. First, we initiate uh, look again at the rule with me. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. How do we all want to be loved? Not by people doing nothing, right? Not by people ignoring us, right? I wonder what would happen if I went home uh, after lunch today and didn't speak to my wife. Would she consider that love? No. No. Children, do you think if you go home today from this place and don't contact your mother, she will feel loved today on Mother's Day? No. Friends, how do you want to be loved? You want to be loved by others approaching you. You want to be loved by people initiating contact. By doing and uh, doing things for you and thinking things of you, right? A thoughtful gift, perhaps. A a nice card in the mail, an encouraging text message. Friends, in order to move towards others, we need to not wait for them, but rather see that as we want others to initiate with us, we must initiate toward them. The second way in which we can move towards others is We communicate. We talk. This one seems obvious. The rule is about them, about your neighbor, about others. And and so it's about your approach to them. But notice what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say in every little detail and precise way that you like to be loved, love other people. He doesn't say love other people as you want them to love you in letting you do or not do all of these different things. He doesn't say how you prefer as an individual to be loved, love other people exactly in that way. Rather, what Jesus is wanting us to adopt is a mindset that considers how others prefer to be loved, how others like to be approached And friends, we can only do this if we talk to one another. We can only accomplish this by communicating to others. And so we don't wait for others to always initiate with us. We similarly don't wait for them to tell us how they want to be loved. We move toward them and move toward their preferences in loving them. The third way that we move toward others is we sacrifice. We know that loving our neighbors is not easy, right? It involves sacrifice. It's constant sacrifice. And it's not just preferences. It's not just, you know, it's difficult for me to love that neighbor in that way because that's not my natural way of loving people. It's more than that. It's, it's time. It's effort. It's energy. And so what the golden rule is teaching us is a reversal. A reversal of our understanding of ownership. You see, under the golden rule, my time, my tools, my house, my resources become God's time. God's tools, God's house, God's resources that He has blessed me with to bless others with. Do you see the distinction? That suddenly my my house... It's not just for me and my family. But it's for others. God has blessed me with a house just right up the street. It's a walking distance. I walk here all the time. He's blessed me and my family with that residence. But he has not blessed me with that residence for me to lock the door. To not allow you in. But rather to use it for my neighbors and for my friends. Friends, this could be just you. It could be my church family. It could be the fact that, that, that we're not doing that enough amongst ourselves, amongst the closest people that we have in our lives. But notice that the golden rule doesn't say, so whatever you wish that other church members at Covenant Reformed Presbyterian Church would do to you, so do to the other members at Covenant Reformed Presbyterian Church. It says others. Friends, we, we need to open our home. We need to give our time, our tools, our efforts, our energy, all of these things to those in our broader community. We approach others in the golden rule. We positively act toward our neighbors by inviting them in to hear something that they may not have heard. The gospel of Christ. To give them something they may not have had recently. A warm meal, a warm environment, a blanket on their cold feet. Friends, we need to open our doors. We need to open our lives to those around us. This could be something huge. It could be like uh, something like fostering children. The craziness and the chaos that comes with inviting a traumatized child into your home. It is a huge thing. But friends, Jesus doesn't say big or small. He invites us to do both. It could be as simple as buying two extra chicken thighs at Harris Teeter this week and inviting one of you over for a meal. You see, friends, it can be big or small, but at the end of the day, the golden rule requires that we sacrifice, that we give up of our own things. The fourth way that we move towards others is simple. Seems very obvious. We appreciate. We appreciate other people. We don't seek to justify ourselves to the golden rule. We don't sort of say, hey, thanks for coming over. Hey, thanks for being here. Thanks for everything. Go home. Uh, go be warm and be filled. See you later. Shut the door and go to God in our prayer closet and say, see how great I am? I followed the golden rule today, God. We're not justifying ourselves through those actions, but rather. We approach those neighbors as God approaches us unconditionally, not because they have anything to offer us, not because others can give us something. We don't love people for gain because this is not love. We don't fulfill the golden rule by viewing our neighbors as people who can give us things, objects, or means. To an end. We need to appreciate them for who they are. Neighbors made in the image of God. Who are freely invited to believe the gospel of Christ. You see how then the golden rule affects the inner recesses of our hearts, doesn't it? You see how suddenly we're provoked in our selfishness, right? Suddenly, uh, we don't want to think of it as God's time or tools or house or resources. We want to say they're mine. They're mine. And this brings us to the second aspect of the golden rule we need to consider. that Loving our neighbor is backwards. Uh, There's a really great scene in one of my favorite movies, uh, A Few Good Men. Perhaps some of you have seen it. Uh, it's, a, it's a law movie uh, in the Navy or in the Marine Corps uh, with Tom Cruise. You, you may recall that the movie is about two Marines who, who conduct what's called a Code Red, which is sort of this unsanctioned, informal hazing that ends up tragically in an, another Marine's death. And so they're on trial for murder. And during that trial, uh, another Marine is on the stand, and the prosecutor, uh, uh, Kevin Bacon brings up a manual and says, Marine, uh, turn to the chapter on, on Code Red. The Marine laughs and says, uh, uh, Sir, it's, it's, it's not in here. Uh, it's something that we specifically use down at Guantanamo Bay. And he goes, oh, okay, cool. He takes it, goes back to his desk, picks up another manual. This is the manual of the Marine Corps at Guantanamo Bay. Can you turn to the page in here uh, on Code Reds? And he says, well, no, sir, it's, it's, it's not exactly like that. And he says, you're telling me, as a Marine... That there is no official thing known as a Code Red? Yes, sir. No further questions. And as he's walking away, Tom Cruise sort of dramatically yanks the the manual from Kevin Bacon's hand. And he hands it to the Marine on the stand and he says, Marine, can you tell me where in there the mess hall is? At Guantanamo Bay. And he says, oh, 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 no, no, sir, it's it's not in here. And he says, I'm confused. Does that mean you haven't eaten your entire time at Guantanamo Bay? And he says, well, no, sir. He said, Well, if you didn't know where it was, how did you get there? Marine says, I guess I just followed everybody else. You see, in that moment, what Tom Cruise's character does is he, he turns the argument on its head, doesn't he? He assumes the position of the prosecution to prove the exact opposite point. And it's so incredibly clever. Jesus does the same here. Notice what Jesus does in the golden rule. Read it again with me. See if you see selfishness in here. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. You see how Jesus takes selfishness. He assumes it. And what does he do? He proves the opposite point. He turns it on its head. He completely breaks down our understanding of Selfishness. Now friends, before you get defensive, understand and let's just let's accept this fact. For all of us, for all of humanity, save our Savior Jesus Christ, selfishness is our natural habitat, isn't it? We are drawn to selfishness as a fish to water. Right? We need it. We breathe it. We live it. It is our most comfortable place. We want others to give us of their time and their effort and their energy at the core. All of humanity is a moocher, right? We all want and want and want. And so Jesus says, hey, okay, you know selfishness, don't you? We all do. We all know selfishness. So Jesus says, assume that selfishness, but assume it from the perspective of the other person. He completely takes our way of life and he turns it backwards. And he shows us that we can assume these principles that we're so good at assuming, but we ought to assume them of other people. And so the result then becomes, if, you, if everyone is fulfilling this, the result is a group of people who are constantly serving everyone else. You never, have you ever seen that? Ever seen this at play? I think we all can, can sort of assume what this would look like. Here, let me do that for you. No, 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 it's okay, I've got it. No, 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 let me do it for you. I want to serve you in that way. Over and over from everybody in the room. Suddenly forgiveness becomes a much easier thing to give, doesn't it? Suddenly forgiveness is, is flowing freely like water in a water fountain, isn't it? Suddenly, people start looking more like Jesus. But friends, it's important to understand that, that Jesus institutes this rule as backwards from what we are accustomed to. Because we cannot fulfill this rule on our own. And this is why Jesus is instructing us in the gospel that he doesn't just tell us to do it. He gives us the ability to do it. Jesus gives us the ability to do it. He, he comes in and he, he says, okay, look, what you, what you need isn't more thumps over the head. What you need is a new heart. What you need is, is inward renewal. You need resurrection from the dead. And as we saw in Sunday school, in Jeremiah 31, the promise of the New Testament is restoration. As we saw in Ezekiel 36, the promise of the new covenant in Jesus' blood is a new heart. Not a stone, but a flesh. And so what we need is not thumps over the head. We need the hearts of Jesus. And so what we need is we need to retrain ourselves in Christ. We need to confess our sins. We need to to bend our knees. We need to repent of our sins before God. And we need to retrain our eyes as we look at others. There's three things that we need to, to retrain ourselves to see in others. The first, simple. Is the image of God. That that other person that you see and look out on is valuable. No matter what you see with your physical eyes, no matter what, what deficiencies you might see in that person, no matter what they can and cannot do, what Jesus is instructing us in, what he's retraining us to see, is that all of our neighbors are made in God's image. And God loves those made in his image. You know that verse, John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he sent his son. God does not desire or delight in the death of the wicked. Friends, we need to look outward and see what God tells us to see. An image bearer. The second thing that we need to retrain ourselves to see are people, not projects. We need to see people, not projects. You see, loving others for gain, as we've said, is not love. Seeing others as a nut to crack or a riddle to solve is not loving your neighbor. Selfless love comes in and sees that somebody is a fully orbed human being with emotions and preferences, with baggage, with a history, with context. You see, we need to see people as people, as not just image bearers, but as fellow people, because when we see projects instead, what we see and what we're focused on is ourself. We try and take the place of Jesus, don't we? In fixing somebody else's problems, in getting something from them. Friends, the third thing that we need to retrain ourselves to see is a potential friend, not an inevitable foe. I think many people approach others with sort of a contrarian suspicion. What does this person offer me, we think? Friends, we we ought to begin and initiate these relationships viewing them as friends, not foes. As Pastor Sean has been preaching about in the Sermon on the Mount, hasn't Jesus been teaching us to assume the best of others? This is one way in which we do this, by retraining our eyes. But friends, Jesus also shows us how to do these things, how to fulfill the golden rule. And this takes us to our third characteristic, that loving our neighbor is loving God. Our Lord exemplifies perfect love of neighbor all throughout the Gospels. In what is called His active obedience throughout His life, He approached, He initiated, He communicated, He appreciated, He went after people. He invited them into the love of God. We know that Jesus sat with the lowest of society, don't we? That He healed lepers and those who couldn't walk blind people, and those who couldn't speak. He healed sinners of their demons, didn't he? But Jesus teaches us a more foundational way in which he loves his neighbor. And consider it the greatest way. It is the fact that God, the creator, loves us, his neighbors, his creatures, doesn't he? In sending Jesus Christ as a man, God approaches us to love us, His neighbor, as Himself. So much so that He didn't even count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but gave up Himself, even to the point of death. That God... In the flesh, in Jesus Christ, viewed you as so valuable and loved you so much that he couldn't stand for you to die and endure torment and wrath. But came and endured it himself on behalf of his people. You see, Jesus teaches us the entire approach Of the golden rule. Both through the tangible actions. Between himself as a man. And us as mankind. In the gospels. But most clearly. And beautifully. When he teaches us that God. Loves his creation. And this is why. Jesus connects the law. uh, With uh, uh, the law of loving our neighbors ourself. With the law of loving God. You see it's. It's. Kind of, sort of, in a way, maybe, a little bit, the same principle, isn't it? That in loving God, we're loving our neighbor, aren't we? She's just a different neighbor, different type of neighbor, in that way. We see that Jesus connects that we ought to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, with all our mind, with loving others as ourselves, because it's all how God loves us. Not to mention the fact that John tells us in 1 John 4 that if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, is a liar. Friends, if we want to fulfill the golden rule, we need to love the Lord our God. We need to cherish Him and admire Him and worship Him. This is why Jesus says at the end of verse 12, For this is the law and the prophets. Both in that God reveals through the law and the prophets that he loves us, his neighbor. And that he commands and bids us, his people, to obey him and follow him in that love by loving others. And this is where we need to go back to Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Jesus says, do not think I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. How do we know that Jesus doesn't abolish the law and the prophets? Because Jesus fulfills the golden rule. Jesus loves his neighbor as himself. He exemplifies to us, not a little bit, not some of, not a a hair of, but the entirety of the meaning of loving others, of the golden rule. And so everything from chapter 5 now to to chapter 7 and even a little bit beyond is, is summarized in this. Friends, if you just glance over, you remember we talked about prayer. We talked about treasures in heaven. We talked about not judging others. We talked about anger, divorce, lust, and all sorts of things, didn't we? All of this can be summarized in this. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. It's that simple. It's that simple. And in this way, the golden rule is a summary of God's relationship to us in the incarnation, isn't it? It's a summary of God's revelation to us. The entire Bible can be summarized with the golden rule. And it's a summary of God's requirements to us now in Christ. Obedience to Him looks like this. And so in order to live out the golden rule, we must not seek to justify ourselves. We must not seek to do it on our own. We must cast ourselves upon Jesus because he is the only person to ever have fulfilled it in its entirety. The only way to know the fullest meaning of the golden rule is to look to Jesus. Regardless of what culture said it, regardless of what time it was set in, the only person to ever fulfill the golden rule is Jesus Christ. And his example says, Receive nothing, Give everything. Receive nothing and give everything. Friends, we can only do this. We can only break this. We can can only break the cycle of selfishness. We can only follow the golden rule in responding to Jesus' gift of grace. Of fulfilling the rule on our behalf. So friends, it's easy to to misuse. It's easy to to misunderstand. It's easy to misapply the golden rule. we do this when we're defensive, right? Oh, I don't like how you just sort of approached me, so I'm going to put the golden rule at you. That's a misuse, isn't it? That's justifying self, isn't it? We could use this offensively, right? To, To change other behaviors into what I want. To coerce them or manipulate them, right? Mothers... It's Mother's Day. wonder if we've ever used the golden rule with our children. I hope it was not to coerce them into good behavior, but to teach them the way that Jesus calls us to live. Friends, we, could, we can use the rule for a wide variety of ways, but if we use the rule for me, for self, if we understand the golden rule to to, uh, do unto others what I would have them do to me, if we misuse it, it becomes a weapon and it loses all of its meaning, all of its impact, all of its implications because we cannot coerce faithfulness and obedience from God, nor can we coerce it from others. We can't demand it from others. Instead, we need to look to Christ To look to his example and to look to him for the ability to love our neighbors as ourselves. So believe today that Jesus came and lived a life in accordance with this and bids you to do the same. Let's pray to him now for his help to do just that. Great and glorious Savior Jesus Christ, we thank you for all that you have done for us in both showing us the way and making it open to us. We pray today that we would believe, that we would have faith in you, that you would renew our hearts now by the power of the Holy Spirit to give us what we need to follow and obey. Not to justify ourselves, but to simply be faithful because because we love you because you first loved us. We thank you for that love. We pray this in your name. Amen.